May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength, our rock, our living redeemer. Amen. If I could actually get the next slide. Yeah, there we go. So today's scripture passage begins with a cry from Jesus' disciples, a demand from his followers. Increase our faith, they shout. In increase our faith, please. Truth be told, you can't really blame them for the request. If you heard Jesus' teachings just before this passage, you'd be asking for some help in the faith department too. If you cause one of the, these little ones to stumble, Jesus says just before our passage, if you cause someone to stumble, you might as well grab a millstone, one of these big giant pieces of rock with a hole in the middle, you might as well pop your head in the middle and toss yourself to the bottom of the ocean. It's meant to be funny, and I didn't hear a lot of laughs, but you know, nobody, yeah. Jesus has, a, has an interesting sense of humor. Basically, Jesus says in this, he says, I don't care how holy you are if you, by your actions, your attitude towards, uh, towards, uh, towards other people, get in between someone else and God, all that holiness is canceled out. It's canceled out. You're back to zero. So don't be the cause of somebody else stumbling or else, you know, millstone, plunk, jump in the ocean. It's pretty harsh, but wait, there's more. Be on your guard, Jesus says. Be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you better rebuke them. Now this, of course, is connected to the last statement. If somebody is getting their life into a real mess and hurting other people, and we don't do anything about it, then we bear some responsibility for their stumbling as well. It's why on most Sundays, as part of our prayer of confession, we offer up to God those things we have not only done, but those things that we've left undone, the things we didn't do that we should have done in the first place. We not only bear some responsibility for the other's stumbling, we bear some responsibility for the hurt they cause others to when we do nothing to intervene. Now, of course, now, of course, this whole rebuking thing might sound pretty exciting to some of us, including myself. Because, I mean, we love a good rebuke, don't we? We just love letting somebody have it when they deserve it. We love a good scolding. It sounds like a license to get out that old fire hose of judgment and, you know, crank it open in the guise of keeping other people from stumbling. Just let her rip. So thank you, Jesus. Finally, something that I'm good at. Well, that doesn't seem so impossible to me. But as exciting as that sounds, it ain't what it's cracked up to be. Because Jesus ties admonishment always to forgiveness. If there is repentance on the part of the person who you've rebuked, he said, you must forgive. 
The purpose of bringing somebody's wrongdoing to light is always for the purpose of changing minds and that that person might be fully restored to community. Wagging fingers, pronouncing judgment, relishing in someone else's uh, misdeeds, that's a stumbling block to them seeking forgiveness. Because who wants to seek forgiveness from a judgmental jerk? And I'm serious about that. Actually, the person asking forgiveness often can give off such a radiant energy that it can actually push the other person away from forgiveness. It's easy to point out other people's problems, but it's always much harder to do it with the goal of healing, forgiveness, and restoration in mind. And it's not just forgiving one offense here and one offense there. If the same person sins against you seven times a day, Jesus says, seven times in one day, Jesus says, if they sin against you and say, I repent, then you've got to forgive them seven times. I mean, Matthew's gospel is even harder than that. He says, seven times 70 is the number of forgiveness, which means keep on going. So you can see why in response to Jesus' teachings, his disciples cry out, increase our faith. Jesus teaches his disciples to call out wrongdoing, yes, but he teaches even that is an occasion for his disciples to demonstrate grace and forgiveness. I mean, I have enough trouble forgiving one wrong by one person in one day, let alone seven a day, let alone 77 times seven, 70 times seven, seven days a week. But here Jesus instructs a superhuman amount of forgiveness on the part of his followers. So no wonder that they cry out for an increase of faith. It seems impossible. It seems impossible. Not something any normal old person like you or me could do. Leave it to the saints. So their cry for faith is understandable, and it doesn't downplay how hard the act is. Jesus knows the size of the task. But the fascinating thing here is that Jesus says his disciples are already equipped for the task. He says that we're already equipped for the task. If I could have the next slide, please. If, Jesus says, if you have the faith, faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, uproot yourself and plant yourself in the sea. Mulberry bush. Across right into, the, uh, right into Georgian Bay. Of course, Jesus doesn't mean that if you believe hard enough, you'll be able to perform magic. It's a figure of speech here. It's like saying, oh no, you'll turn the world upside down. It's hyperbole. Jesus is saying that in order to forgive like he says or follow any of his teachings, really, we don't need more faith. In fact, we misunderstand what faith is altogether. The great reformer, Martin Luther, said that faith 
is a living, bold trust in God's grace. So certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times, trusting it. And the great minister and novelist Frederick Buechner, a little bit more contemporary for us, describes faith like this. He says that faith is better understood as a verb than a noun, more as an action rather than an object, as a process more than a possession. It is on again, he says, it is off again, rather than once for all. Faith is, being, is not being sure where you're going, but journeying anyway. A journey without maps. Next slide, please. According to Jesus, the size of our faith doesn't matter. Size doesn't matter. We don't need to feel faith more deeply. We don't need to just believe ideas about God harder than we already do. And we don't need to wait around for God to give us the strength to do this kind of stuff to increase our faith. Because faith isn't about quantity or even quality. Faith is a disposition of the heart, a willingness to venture out and trust God to carry us through, even when we're not sure how it's all going to turn out. Jesus says that with the tiniest amount of faith, we can pluck a tree from the soil and plunk it in the ocean, metaphorically speaking, of course. Things that seem impossible or incredible will find ourselves doing all sorts of crazy things when we're willing to trust God's promises, like loving our enemies, like turning the other cheek, like serving and befriending the poor, the suffering and the hurt of this world, or speaking truth in love to those who hurt us and hurt others. And of course, forgiving those who've wronged us seven times a day seven times 70 a day. According to Jesus, a little faith, a little trust goes a long way. And pretty soon when we start trusting God, when we do things and see them done, these things will start seeming like old hat, not a big deal. It becomes part of us, like second nature. That's what the parable Jesus follows the mustard seed teaching with. Basically, he says, speaking from his own time and place, that slaves don't get commended for doing what they're ordered to do. It's their job. All this stuff, Jesus says, loving, serving, is part of the definition of being a child of God. The job description of a disciple of Jesus is part and parcel of growing into being the kind of people that God has created us to be. Any little faith at all is the gateway to incredible things we never thought possible by simply trusting, by believing Jesus' promise that we can and we will because we've already been given the grace and courage to do so. And we know this because this kind of stuff happens every day. That's the right slide. Good. Stay there. Earlier this month, you may have heard or read the story of the murder of Botham Jean, 
a 26-year-old African-American man. One night, Amber Geiger, a Dallas City police officer, accidentally entered the apartment on the floor just below hers in the building, so the apartment just below hers, thinking that it was hers. Still in uniform and following work, she found Botham Jean in the apartment, unarmed, just sitting on the couch, eating ice cream and watching TV. And in response, she immediately drew her gun and killed him right then and there. This innocent, unarmed man, just beginning his adult life. And to make it worse, text messages the officer had written prior to the incident were joking about the death of Martin Luther King Jr. and African Americans in general, so bringing a racist dimension to the whole event. So earlier this month, when Geiger was sentenced to 10 years in prison with the possibility of parole, rather than life in prison, there were protests and chants against it because some people considered it to be a lenient sentence. Just another example of discrimination, just another cop getting off easy in a system rigged against African Americans. Now, putting those questions aside, which are important and crucial, there's lots in the news about that. You can read the news about that. But within the sadness and heartbreak of this story is buried a bright light of hope. Within this story of racial injustice and police bias is enclosed a story of mustard seed faith. A story about how God takes a little faith a long way. Next slide, please. The victim, Botham Jean's younger brother, Brant, was given time to speak at the trial. And Brant, this younger brother, who's only 18, had the opportunity to address the police officer who shot and killed his innocent older brother with hateful and racist overtones. No doubt anger and rage and despair flowed through his mind at one point. But when he had the opportunity, here's what he said instead, and we're gonna have a clip. We're gonna show a clip. We're gonna try to show a clip. Let's see if we can do it. Turn it up.
end the clip uh, right there. So that was that was powerful. I mean, the first time I watched it, I, I choked up and I thought, hopefully these church people don't see me. They might see think that I, I have some sort of soft side. They might they might think that I was touched by an act of Jesus' forgiveness or something. But rather than pronouncing vengeance upon this woman who murdered his brother in cold blood, he spoke a word of forgiveness, the word of grace. He said, I love you. He said, God loves you. And he said, God will forgive you. He embraced an enemy not only as his friend, but a beloved sister and child of the living God. This kid showed us superhuman forgiveness. This kid, this 18-year-old kid, normal person like you or me, in fact, somebody who might, as, might not be as wise or experienced as you or me, somebody who definitely wasn't born with the advantages of most of us here. This kid was able to pluck up a tree-sized weed of pain, suffering, and anger and toss it into the sea of forgiveness. And not only that, to speak the truth in love in a way that doesn't provide fodder for punishment, but paves the way for redemption. No stumbling block here. This kid showed us Jesus, alive and well with nothing more than a mustard seed-sized faith. And it's incredible. It's incredible, and media all over the world were astounded. And I was astounded, and no doubt you were, you were blown away too. We said, whoa, increase our faith. I want to be like that. But according to Jesus, this is exactly the kind of run-of-the-mill thing we can expect when we're willing to trust him. Wherever we're at on our faith journeys. Just another day on the job with a gift of, gift of faith. Faith that's not just a feeling or an emotion or an idea, but faith that is fidelity. The willingness to trust Jesus and his way when we have no idea of the outcome and the world tells us to do otherwise. When we don't have a map, when we don't know what's going to happen, but when we step out in the power of God's Spirit, when we walk the path of Christ, trusting that he is in the business of healing broken hearts and mending creation in making all things new. That just happens with faith. So, go, brothers and sisters. When you leave this place, go speak truth and do it in love. Go and forgive whomever you have to, whenever you have to, and as many times as you have to. It may sound impossible, but as the angels said to Mary at the beginning of the story, with God, all things are possible. And thank God for that. Amen.